Um, we're beginning chapter 18. Gosh, we're almost done with the eighth canto. It goes quickly. Uh, not so many long purports. <clears throat> um, so, uh, Diti uh, performed the uh, uh, Payobrata Aditi, sorry, not Diti, <laughs> Aditi, uh, and uh, satisfied the Lord, and he agreed to appear uh, to help re help her reestablish her uh, progeny uh, in the demigods in their, you know, in the heavenly planets. And of course, Krishna doesn't do anything in a boring way, right? Or yeah, he uh, he does things in an exciting way, in an interesting way, in a uh, you could almost say a mind-blowing way. So here we're going to have an example of it. <laughs> he appears as a dwarf, Brahman, and asks for just three steps of land and then takes everything. So it's quite, uh, quite amazing. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Ajnanatim Randasya Ajnananjana Shalakaya. Chakshura Militam Yenatas Mai Shri Gurave Namaha. So Lord Brahma had appeared and was glorifying the Lord when he had just finished. So now Sukadeva Swami is speaking to Maharaj Prikshit about what happened. So we're on Canto 8, Chapter 18, Verse Number 1. <clears throat> Sukadev Goswami said, after Lord Brahma had thus spoken, glorifying the Supreme Lord's activities and prowess, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is never subject to death like an ordinary living being, appeared from the womb of Aditi. His four hands were decorated with a conch shell, club, lotus, and disc. He was dressed in yellow garments, and his eyes appeared like the petals of a blooming lotus. Uh, let me just let someone else in and get my notes going here. One second. Oops. So the uh, reason I wanted to check my notes is because uh, Uh, the um, this is very similar to the tenth canto. If you uh, in the how Lord, when Krishna is born in um, from Devaki and Vasudev, he at first appears in his Vishnu form before he uh, appears at, uh, takes the form of Krishna. So that's very similar to what's happening here. Now he's appearing in his Vishnu form with four arms, et cetera. And then he's going to um, change into uh, the form of uh, Dev. And it's important to note that all of these forms are Krishna and, and are coming from Krishna and are eternal. 
Um, it's not, that'll come up in a, in a verse or two from now, but um, I'm just trying to get my notes here as I'm talking, trying to multitask like usual. Uh, let me just, because I wanted to give you the reference for the 10th canto if I can. <clears throat> oh, I thought I had it here. Well, um, yeah, anyway, so he's appearing, you know, in, in, a very, in, in the very similar, oh yes, uh, <clears throat> Canto 10, chapter three, verses 41 to 43. And so, you know, he appeared as Lord Vishnu, then he assumes the two-armed form of Vasudev Krishna right before his parents' eyes. And, you know, in both appearances, he increases the mood of his devotee's parental affection um, <clears throat> by first entering the pure consciousness of his father and then appearing from the womb of his mother, not like, uh, not through uh, uh, sexual relations, but by entering the pure consciousness of the father and then appearing in the womb of his mother. And so here, as soon as Krishna, uh, as soon as uh, Vishnu transformed himself from Vishnu to Vamana, the, as we're going to read in a little while, the sages are satisfied and they perform the birth ritual, um, recognizing that the Lord has descended. <clears throat> and uh, so he appears, imagine his eye, imagine the eye, someone's eyes being like the petals of a blooming lotus. So very beautiful. The body of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, blackish in complexion, was free from all inebrities. So even the most beautiful person has some inebrities, right? They have a, a, a mole somewhere or a birthmark, or even if they are totally gorgeous, that doesn't last forever. But here, free from all inebrities. His lotus face, decorated with earrings resembling sharks, appeared very beautiful. And on his bosom was the mark of Srivatsa. He wore bangles <coughs> on his wrists, armlets on his arms, a helmet on his head, a belt on his waist, a sacred thread across his chest, and ankle bells decorating his lotus feet. An uncommonly beautiful garland of flowers. Let me just let somebody in, Nandi Muki. An uncommonly beautiful garland of flowers decorated his bosom. And because the flowers were extremely fragrant, a large group of bees making their natural humming sounds invaded them for honey. Now, normally we, would, we wouldn't like that, right? Could you imagine if you were wearing a flower garland and then there's bees all around you? <laughs> Take the garland off and throw it as far as you can so that you don't get stung. These bees don't sting. They only produce a nice humming sound. <laughs> um, yeah. When the Lord appeared wearing the Kushtuba gem on his neck, some of you know Kushtuba Prabhu, so the name Kushtuba comes from, it's a gem uh, around the Lord's neck. His effulgence vanquished the darkness in the home of Prajapati Kasipa. At that time, there was happiness in all directions. So the Lord has appeared. I mean, even, 
even in, you know, somebody says, oh, you know, uh, my daughter just had a baby girl, you know, and everyone says, oh, how nice, wonderful, you know, right? But here there was happiness in all directions. In the reservoir of water, like the rivers and oceans, and in the core of everyone's heart, the various seasons displayed their respective qualities and all living entities in the upper planetary systems in outer space and on the surface of the earth were jubilant. The demigods, the cows, the brahmanas and the hills and mountains were all filled with joy. On the day of Shravan Dvadasi, so today is Akadasi, tomorrow is Dvadasi, the 12th day. And there's two Ikadasis and two Dvadasis in every, in every month. Um, the 12th day of the bright fortnight in the month of Bhadra. When the moon, and so there's the, the months have different names than our months, you know, January, February, March, April. And they're by the uh, lunar calendar rather than the solar calendar. When the moon came into the lunar mansion, Shavana, which basically, uh, oh no, at the auspicious moment of Abhijit, which is basically noon, the Lord appeared in this universe. Considering the Lord's appearance very auspicious, all the stars and planets from the sun to Saturn were magnificently charitable. So planets can be charitable. <laughs> That's nice. Text six. O king, when the Lord appeared on Dwadashi, the 12th day of the moon, the sun was at the meridian. As every learned scholar knows, this Dwadashi is called the Jaya. Conch shells, kettle drums, uh, drums, panavas, and anakas vibrated in concert. The sound of these and various other instruments was tumultuous. So this just huge sound. I mean, I, I, I don't know what we can compare it to. Uh, oops. Um, one second. I'm going like to probably July. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm probably going to uh, disappear for a second. I have to switch uh, uh, Wi-Fi connections, but it's just five, ten seconds. Unless you can still hear me, I don't think you. Can. Are we back? Are we back now? I think so. Yeah. Okay. And welcome, Adam. Welcome, Nandimuki. Welcome, Mun. Hare Krishna. Um, did you say Fourth of July, Andy? You're on mute, but yeah. Arms uh, bursting in air and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I was thinking of like a uh, heavy metal concert or something. You know, it's so loud. <laughs> but um, yeah, loud, loud, loud noise. <clears throat> Tumultuous. Being very pleased, the celestial dancing girls, Apsaras, danced in jubilation. The best of the Gandharvas sung songs, and the great sages, demigods, Manus, Pitas, and fire gods offered prayers to satisfy the Lord. This, so these are all uh, mentions of, uh, in this universe, higher planetary beings. The Siddhas, Vidyadharas, Kimpurushas, Kinaras, Charanas, Yakshas, Rakshakshas, 
uh, Suparnas, the best of the serpents and the followers of the demigods all showered flowers on Aditi's residence, covering the entire house while glorifying and praising the Lord and dancing. So this huge, could imagine a house is covered with flowers. <laughs> right? Imagine that, like, you know, sometimes uh, in uh, Chopati and some other temples, they do this Pushpa Abhishek, <laughs> where they uh, cover the, the, uh, the deity with flowers. But imagine a whole house <laughs> covered with flower, flower petals uh, and fragrant ones at that. So it was, it was very, the, the point, the, the gestalt of the whole thing is that it was very, very festive. When Aditi saw the Supreme Personality of Godhead who had appeared from her own womb, having accepted a transcendental body by his own potency, she was struck with wonder and was very happy. Upon seeing the child, Prajapati Kasyapa exclaimed, Jai, Jai, in great happiness and wonder. The Lord appeared in his original form with ornaments and weapons in his hand. Although this ever-existing form is not visible, so that ever-existing is not visible in the material world, he nonetheless appeared in this form. Then in the presence of, now listen to this, then in the presence of his father and mother, he assumed the form of Amana, a Brahmin dwarf, a Brahmachari, just like a theatrical actor. Hmm. So Krishna can transform his form as he likes. Now, you know, sometimes you see like, usually when people can do that, either in science fiction or whatever, it's usually not a very nice thing. Right, you know, like the like the first episode of of Star Trek with William Shatner, uh, way way back, is uh, about a person who, uh, not a person, but a being, who can imitate anyone on the uh, spacecraft, and you know, it was not a nice person. He killed men, some people on anyway. It's the whole thing. But gen my point is, generally, when you when you hear of that even in the science fiction world, it's 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 not for good reasons. But here, Krishna uh, formed, assumed the form of Vishnu and then Vamanadev. Very interesting. So let's read the purport. Uh, for those who just joined, we're on Canto 8, chapter 18, verse number 12. The word Natta is significant. Natta means actor. An actor changes dress to play different parts but is always the same man. Okay, so that's just like, in one sense, it's not the exact analogy being here, but we are the soul and we take on different dresses, different material bodies, um, but we remain the soul, part and parcel of Krishna. Similarly, as described in the Brahma Sankhita, the Lord assumes many thousands and millions of forms Advaitam, Achutam, Anadim, Anantarupam, Adyam Purana Purusham. He is always present with innumerable incarnations. Ramadi Murti Shukala Niyamena Tishtan, Nanavatara Makarodhavaneshukintu. Nonetheless, 
although he appears in various incarnations, they are not different from one another. Just like one candle can light so many other candles and they all have that same potency, even though there was an original candle. <clears throat> he is the same person with the same potency, the same eternality, the same eternity and the same spiritual existence, but he can simultaneously assume various forms. Now that doesn't mean he doesn't have different personalities. Lord Chaitanya has a different personality, Lord Nityananda. Uh, Ram had a different, you know, uh, transcendental personality than Krishna. But in terms of being eternal, sat, chit, ananda, being uh, the body full of eternity, knowledge, and bliss, that was the same. That was on the same spiritual platform, although there's variety in the spiritual existence. When Vamanadeva appeared from the womb of his mother, he appeared in the form of Narayana with four hands equipped with the necessary symbolic weapons and then immediately transformed himself into a brahmachari patu. This means that his body is not material. One who thinks that the Supreme Lord assumes a material body is not intelligent. He has to learn more about the Lord's position as confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, Janma Karma Chame Divyam Evam Yoviti Kapata. One has to understand the transcendental appearance of the Lord in this original transcendental body. So this is, uh, get my uh, notes here. Oh, that's not it. Um, so, you know, nothing that Krishna does is ordinary. <laughs> no. Uh, and his form, it, regardless of what form he takes, is eternal. It's not the Mayavadi conception, the Advaita Vedantic conception, that God is formless. He comes in the material world accepting a form temporarily, but actually, ultimately, he's formless. No, these forms are all eternal, all sat-chit-ananda. That is a very important tattva, truth, to really meditate on and, and, and uh, under, try to understand as far as our intelligence will allow us, because that'll be a basis upon which we build our higher levels of bhakti. To understand just how great Krishna is, how powerful Krishna is, how... Um, his body is eternal, how he's not controlled by the modes of material nature. These are all uh, important things to understand about him um, before taking the higher steps of understanding Krishna and Vrindavan, etc. So, any questions, comments up till now? Sorry, Krishna. Yes. I don't know, I don't know exactly how to form this. Okay, well, as long as it's not formless, it's okay. <laughs> Okay. So, um, Lord Nishringadeva appeared. And I'm listening. I'm just going off video a second so I can get some water. But I'm listening. Go ahead. No problem. Lord Nishringadeva appeared. Um, it seems like exclusively upon the desire of Prahlad Maharaj. 
Yeah. So the and I've actually heard this from non-devotees. Uh, the 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 non-devotee position on that is, um, well, the Lord seems to have, you know, uh, created a form just to satisfy, you know, the desire of His devotee, but it's only for um, His pastimes um, in the material world with. Prahlad Maharaj. Um, so uh, I hope you know where I'm going by that. Um, so if the, if 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 the Lord created a form uh, specifically for the satisfaction of his devotee, how is that different from the non-devotee would ask? Because I accept that it's eternal, but the non-devotee would ask, how is that different than the uh, Mayavadi idea of temporary manifestation of form? Well, he also has pastimes in the spiritual world. Um, but Krishna says that's what he does. He says, in the, I always get my seven and nine chapter confused. Seventh chapter, Paritranaya Sadhunam, or is that chapter four, actually? Vinashaya uh, Chajusvitam, yeah, that's chapter four. Dharma Sansapanartaya Sambhavami Yuge Yuge. He says, I come to, basically, I, I come in this world to satisfy my devotees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Krishna does that also to satisfy the gopis and the gopas and Vrindavan. So, but it's not, it's not, it's not, my understanding is it's not, you know, first of all, these pastimes can, with Lord Nishingadev can happen in other universes, but also there's uh, Lord Nishingadev in the spiritual world. But he comes, you know, in this universe in, in that pastime. That's my understanding. Hmm. Because I've, um, I've actually been confronted by that question and not known how to uh, approach it so thank you You're welcome thank for you. making and, it clear any other questions comments thoughts so far we're just getting to the exciting part uh you know i, I mean not that what we read was not exciting but i mean you know uh raman is uh anyway let's continue <laughs> then unless somebody was clearing their throat and wanted to say something uh, usually Adam would have questions, but it's uh, it's so early in the morning for him. It's like five in the morning, so he might be like, okay. Uh, text 13. When the great sages saw the Lord as the brahmachari dwarf, Vamana, they were certainly very pleased. Thus, they placed before them uh, Kasyapamuni, the Prajapati, and performed all the ritualistic ceremonies, such as the birth ceremony. Um, and Prabhupada writes that according to the Vedic civilization, when a child is born in the family of a Brahmin, the birth, they sell a, a ceremony known as Jatta Karma is first performed, and then other ceremonies are also gradually performed. But when this 
Lamana Rupa appeared in the form of a brahmachari, Vatu. His sacred head ceremony was also performed immediately, which usually doesn't happen until much later in a person's life, a child's life. Um, yeah, the, the, also just the point being that in every culture, there's some, uh, well, no, I don't know about every culture, but in many of the traditional cultures, there's some kind of ceremonies that are performed when a child is born. Uh, there's the ceremonies when a coming of age, um, you know, uh, becoming a man, for example, there's marriage, there's uh, first day of school, there's, and of course, there's uh, the funerals, etc. So uh, one time, I think it's in the, I can't remember where it is in the Bhagavatam, but there's this beautiful, I think it must be the Tampakanta, but I could be wrong. There's this beautiful description of all the different ceremonies that happened when Krishna was born. And, you know, turmeric and all, all kinds of things. And I think Prabhupada contrast, contrasted that uh, in, in America, the baby comes out of the womb in a hospital, you slap them on the, on the backside and that's, so that's, that's it, basically. Um, whereas there was this, all these, you know, elaborate festivities in bygone ages. So, text 14. At the sacred thread ceremony of Bamana. So sacred thread is the thread that, uh, like this one here, that Brahmins get uh, usually uh, when they get diksha or initiation. Uh, usually it's not at, right after birth, like in Bamana's case, but yeah. The sun god personally uttered the Gayatri mantra. Vihaspati offered the sacred thread and Kasyapamuni offered a straw belt. 15, Mother Earth gave her him a deerskin. Uh, the demigod of the moon, uh, the de uh, and the demigod of the moon, who is the king of the forest, gave him a brahmadanda, the rod of a brahmachari. His mother, Aditi, gave him cloth for underwear. And the deity presiding over the heavenly kingdom offered him an umbrella. So very unusual birth, with great gifts. O King Lord Brahma offered him a, offered a water pot to the inexhaustible Supreme Personality of God. The seven sages offered him kusha grass. These are all things that are used in a Brahmin's life. In, 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 in the Brahmin sits on the kusha grass. They usually below the kusha grass is a deer skin, which chases away uh, tigers and uh, like that. Um, and the, the, the rod of a brahmachari, which people, brahmacharis don't use today, but it was all part of their lifestyle or their worship. And Mother Saraswati gave him a string of rujaksha beads, kind of like our japa beads, but the, uh, different, but yeah, you've probably seen them. When Vamanadev had thus been given the sacred thread, Kuvera, king of the Yakshas, gave him a pot for begging alms, another practical gift for someone who's a beggar. And Mother Bhagavati, the wife of Lord Shiva, and most chaste mother of the entire universe, gave him his first alms, his first donations. Here, please take this donation. Having thus been welcomed by everyone, Lord Vamana, the best of the Brahmacharis, exhibited his Brahman effulgence. Thus he surpassed in beauty that entire assembly 
which was filled with great saintly brahmanas. So he's there, and now he's showing this brilliant effulgence. I mean, just could you just imagine what that would be like if you come in touch with a, you know, uh, Dean comes uh, back to DC and sees his wife, and then she's emanating this effulgence. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be like, what? <laughs> yeah. Which would probably emanate a lawnmower and a bunch of tasks to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, you know, I'm, it's sort I'm, of, I'm all service, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, imagine someone who's actually effulgent like that. After uh, text 19, after Lord Vamana Dave set a sacrificial fire, which is what Brahmins do, he offered worship and performed a fire sacrifice on the sacrificial field. When the Lord heard that Bali Maharaj was performing, Ashva made a sacrifices under the patronage. So this is, okay, so Bhamana's hearing that Bali Maharaj is performing this horse sacrifice, Ashvameda, uh, under the patronage of Brahmanas belonging to the Brigamuni, uh, the Brigu dynasty, so very qualified Brahmanas. The Supreme Lord Bhamana, uh, who is full in every respect, proceeded there to show his mercy to Bali Maharaj. Now listen to this. He was no ordinary dwarf Brahmana. By his weight, he pushed down the earth with every step. So he's not just some Brahmana boy. His body is such an under eternity, knowledge, and bliss. Uh, and he's so powerful, and yet he's a beggar. That's what Brahmins do. It's 21. While engaged in performing the sacrifice in the field known as Brigukacha on the northern bank of the Narmada River, the Brahminical priests and descendants of Brigu saw Vamanadev to be like the sun rising nearby. So he walks into this sacrificial arena and everyone is taken aback. O king, because of Vamana's bright effulgence, the priests, along with Bali Maharaj and all the members of the assembly were robbed of their splendor. So they might be considered that they're big, big people, right? And then Vamana walks in and it's just like, you know, they're nothing. They're uh, like fireflies compared to the sun. Thus they began to ask one another whether the sun god himself, Sana Kumar or the fire god has personally come to see the sacrificial ceremony. So they saw this bright football. Did the sun god come? What, what's, what's going on? While the priests of the Brigu dynasty and their disciples talked and argued in various ways, the Supreme Personality of God had Bhamanate, holding in his hand the rod, the umbrella, and the water pot full of wa uh, water, entered the arena of the Ashvameda sacrifice. Appearing as a Brahmana boy, wearing a belt of straw, a sacred thread, an upper garment of deer skin, and Matted locks of hair, Lord Bhamanad entered the arena of sacrifice. His brilliant effulgence diminished the brilliance of all the priests and their disciples, who thus stood from uh, who thus stood from their chairs and welcomed the Lord properly by offering obeisances. So now Balimar is the king of the whole, practically the universe, and especially the heavenly planets. And he's doing, he's the 
he's doing the sacrifice in Nisa. So it says, Bali Maharaj jubilant at seeing Lord Vamanadev, whose beautiful limbs contributed equally to the beauty of his entire body, offered him a seat with great satisfaction. Thus offering a proper reception to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who was always beautiful to, uh, was always beautiful to the liberated souls, Bali Maharaj worshiped him by washing his lotus feet. Lord Shiva, the best of demigods who carries on his forehead the emblem of the moon, received on his head with great, receives on his head with great devotion the Ganges water emanating from the toe of Vishnu. Being aware of religious principles, Bali Maharaj knew this. Consequently, following in the footsteps of Lord Shiva, he placed on his head the water that had washed the Lord's lotus feet. So in the purport, Srila Prabhupada talks about the Ganges. And I won't bring it up, but I would refer you um, about uh, during the, was it Memorial Day weekend? I think so. Uh, up at, uh, in, in the uh, podcast, Wisdom of the Sages, uh, Sachinandan Swami was a guest speaker along with Raghunath Prabhu and Koshtuba Prabhu. Um, and they, the, they were talking about the Ganges and there was all these great stories and, and just about how powerful and how purifying uh, Mother Ganges is. So if you, if you were to do like a YouTube search for Wisdom of the Sages and then Ganges, you would find that you could listen to that. It's, uh, there's a lot of details now that I won't try to reproduce. Um, text 29, Bali Maharaj said to Lord Brahmanadev, Oh, Brahmana, I offer you my hearty welcome and my respectful obeisances. Please let me know what we may do for you. We think of you as the personified austerity of the great Brahmana sages. Oh, my Lord, because you have kindly arrived at my home, all my forefathers are satisfied our family and entire dynasty has been sanctified and the sacrifice we are performing is now complete because of your presence. O son of a Brahmana, today the, the fire of sacrifice is ablaze according to the injunctions of the Shastra. And I have been freed from all the sinful reactions of my life by the water that has washed your lotus feet. O my Lord, by the touch of your small lotus feet, the entire surface of the world has been sanctified. O son of a, now this is a very important verse because this will, this verse leads to the rest of the pastime. O son of a Brahmana, it appears that you have come here to ask me for something. Therefore, whatever you want, you may take from me. O best of those who are worshipable, you may take from me a cow, gold, a furnished house, house, palatable food and drink, the daughter of a Brahmana for your wife, prosperous villages, horses, elephants, chariots, or whatever you desire. And at the each, end of each chapter, Prabhupada will say something like this. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purports of the 8th canto, 18th chapter, Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled Lord Vamanadeva, the Dwarf Incarnation. So before we start chapter 19, are there any questions or comments? I know it's pretty much just a story so far. Um, but, uh, but that point that you can take from me whatever you want, that is the key to the next chapters.
Okay, so let us start the next chapters. So, beginning in chapter 19, Sukadeva Goswami continued. When the Supreme Personality of God at Bhamanadev heard Bali Maharaj speaking in this pleasing way, he was very satisfied. For Bali Maharaj had spoken in terms of religious principles. Thus, the Lord began to praise him. And then Bhamanadev said, O King, you are indeed exalted because your present advisors are the Brahmanas who are descendants of Rigu. And because your instructor for your future life is your grandfather, the peaceful and venerable Prahlad Maharaj. So here's one reason he's glorifying. He's saying, you have great guidance. Right? Uh, oh, you're a disciple of Srila Prabhupada's. You have guide, you have Prabhupada's guidance. You're a follower, you know, Iskan, you have, you know, that. So having great guidance in life is uh, is is important. I um, in my profession, I'm uh, my mentor for the last two decades has been a very kind of famous person in in our field. So when I say, "Oh, I'm a, my uh, I'm my mentor is so and so," everyone goes, "Oh," you know, it it it, it adds to my prestige just because I've taken mentorship from her, right? Um, <clears throat> so that's what's being said here. So you're following all these great Brahmins who are descendants of Brigham and what to speak of your grandfather, Pallad Maharaj, who we heard about in the last canto. Your statements are very true and they completely agree with religious etiquette. They are in keeping with the behavior of your family and they enhance your reputation. So an interesting purport. Pralad Maharaj is a vivid example of a pure devotee, right? We, 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 if you remember when we studied about Pralad Maharaj, he, he doesn't want anything for himself. He just wants to remember Krishna. He even, he even begs the Lord to forgive his father, who is such a terrible person. Great devotee. Doesn't want, he said, uh, my Lord, I'm not here to do business with you that I offer you my worship so that you're going to give me something. No, I'm just acting for your pleasure. Now, Prabhupada writes, someone might argue that since Prahlad Maharaj, even though very old, was attached to his family and specifically to his grandson, Bali Maharaj, how could he be an ideal example? Because at the end of life, you're supposed to become detached from family and really focus on Krishna. Um, I think I mentioned that, you know, we're, we've had some, uh, experience, uh, with Gopal Chandra, who's only 40 years old, but leaving this world, he has cancer. And, um, and he's got two young daughters. It's very, very challenging situation. Um, yet, uh, or, or, you know, but because he's so close to death, really the focus now is not on what you're leaving behind. Krishna will take care of that. Now just focus on Krishna and go to Krishna. Like that is a way that we are, especially uh, those devotees in New York who are with him, uh, are trying to get him to focus. Because otherwise you can die, you know, lamenting about uh, things that you did in the past or, or fearful about things in the future, but, but just being present with Krishna at such a crucial time is important, is super important. 
So Vlad Maharaj is, you know, very elderly. Why is he so attached to his grandson? Therefore, this verse uses the word prashanta. A devotee is always sober. He is never disturbed by any condition. Even if a devotee remains in prehasta life, household life, married life, and does not renounce material possessions, he should still be understood to be prashanta, sober, because of his pure devotion to the Lord. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu therefore said, Kiba Bhipra, Kiba Nyasi, Sudra Kenai, Ye Krishna Tattvaveta, Se Guruhai. Whether one is a Brahmana, a Brahmana, Sanyasi, or a Sudra, regardless of what he is, he can become a guru, a spiritual master, if he knows the science of Krishna. Anyone completely aware of the science of Krishna, regardless of his status in life, is a guru. Thus, Balad Maharaj is a guru in all circumstances. Here, the, his lordship, Bhamanadev, also teaches sannyasis and brahmacharis that one should not ask more. So that's the next point. So here about Balad Maharaj, um, you know, it goes back to that point that we have to be careful not to judge a book by its cover, um, not to make assumptions about other people. Like, oh, you know, in other words, someone could say, oh, Balad Maharaj, he's not following the Shastra. The Shastra says he should be detached. That would be such a, an offense to this great, great devotee, Prahlad Maharaj. So sometimes also a devotee, you know, in, in our midst may do something, especially usually for outreach, for giving Krishna consciousness to others, that looks a little questionable. But instead of just immediately going to finding fault, to questioning them, uh, better, as some of you have heard me say many times, be curious rather than being judgmental. That's such an important thing in life to be curious and not judgmental. And then in devotional life, it takes on even a greater significance because it helps us avoid Vaishnava Parad. And the, the thing that blocks our bhakti more than anything else is if we offend devotees. It, it's a clear reason why, because Krishna loves his devotees. So if you offend someone that Krishna loves, you're in a whole heap of trouble. Right? So here, Prahlad Maharaj may not, maybe he's still talking about his grandson and things, but, and he's, and he's still a great devotee. Yes, because he, you know, he's, um, he's, first of all, he's way beyond those considerations. Prahlad Maharaj is, you know, a Maha Maha Bhagavata. So we, we, you know, it's not that everything everyone does, including a devotee, is automatically appropriate, you know, bona fide, um, harmless. But before we are sure, <laughs> and we should be careful about passing judgment, because we, you know, we have four defects. Anyone know what the four defects of the conditioned soul are? Imperfect senses. Imperfect senses. Propensity to cheat. Propensity to cheat. Uh, delusional. Uh, yeah, uh, subject to illusion. Illusion and um, one more, oh, yeah, one more. Um, isn't it like the vicissitudes of life itself? Or? 
Yeah, well, I mean, that, that kind of encompasses a lot of them. So uh, tendency to make mistakes, uh, tendency to be illusioned, tendency to cheat, and imperfect senses. Imperfect senses, yeah. So <laughs> that's like, so it's very easy to commit offenses against devotees or to just make wrong assumptions in the world. Right? Because we don't know what's going on in other people's minds. You know, you're just about to park your car at the mall and another car zips in, and takes your spot. And you're like, oh, you little... Blah, 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 blah. You're so, you know, you get a little angry. We're going to talk about anger in a few verses from now. And then you see that, you see that guy runs into the store. And then two minutes later, you see him walking out, you know, helping his pregnant wife. Who look, you know, looks like she's just about to give birth. And then you feel terrible because now you understand why he took your spot. <laughs> right? right? Or, or there's a saying in the, in the uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita that even if you see Lord Nityananda uh, going into a liquor store, you should understand he's not going there to buy liquor, but to deliver the employees there. <laughs> so one has to be careful, especially in a society like ISKCON, because sometimes we'll do some rather creative ways to share Krishna consciousness with others. And it might not be the tradition that, you know, uh, that people did thousands of years ago. But if, that per but if that devotee's heart is just there to try to help some people get a chance to hear about Krishna, then even if it's a unique way that they're sharing Krishna consciousness, we have to be careful. We can't, it's, we don't read people's minds. Right? And even, even people that you know very well, I mean, I've made assumptions, uh, you know, without getting the whole thing. I, um, my, my, I mean, my wife and I were concerned that my son wasn't doing his homework very well. And so uh, one time he said, okay, uh, dad, mom, or pitta, mata, you know, he uses those words, going out to hang out with some friends. And I gave him this whole lecture about doing his homework. And after like 10 minutes, he said, Pitta, I did my homework already. So I made an assumption. So we can, we can do it with our spouse, you know, even a person that we lived with for 20 or 30 years. So what to speak of an unknown person. So there's a good lesson here in this verse um, <clears throat> that, uh, about Pilad Maharaj. And we'll look at the, the, if you have any questions on that or comments, I'll uh, just, uh, oh, I'll take them now. Any questions or comments on that point? Well, I just had one. Um, what was the, the full thing? It was the four defects of? Oh, of a conditioned soul. And you find these in uh, the Ishopanisha, they're delineated. So um, tendency to make mistakes, tendency to be illusioned, tendency to have a cheating propensity uh, and tendency to, uh, to uh, and our senses are imperfect. Thank you. Okay. I mean, I can really see that these days as I get older, you know, uh, especially, you know, with, if I don't have my glasses on and I'm trying to see something, I say, what is it? And I turn, oh, <laughs> that's what it is, <laughs> right? You know, uh, imperfect senses, yeah. Anything else on this point about making assumptions and 
avoiding offenses. Okay. Now the last paragraph of this purport says, here his lordship, Vamanadeva, also teaches sannyasis and brahmacharis that one should not ask more than necessary. He wanted only three paces of land, although Bali Maharaj wanted to give him anything he wanted. So this is, of course, we may ask for millions of dollars for Krishna, right? Um, but, when we're, but when we're getting charity for ourselves, then we have to be very, 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 very careful. Um, and Prabhupada once said that, you know, for someone who is a devotee is accepting charity on behalf of Krishna, if they, if they spend one penny inappropriately, then there is a karmic reaction for that. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, let's say you're traveling around and uh, you're maybe collecting donations like we are have, building a new temple here. Doesn't mean you can't stop at a shop, to, you know, to buy an avocado, you know, to do something that you need to keep your body and soul together, right? But um, but it's a great when 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 someone gives a donation to Krishna, it's so important that that be used in Krishna's service exclusively, and never, you know, think, well, you know, two for Krishna, one for me, two for Krishna, one for me. <laughs> like like that. Uh, it's a it's a great responsibility, great responsibility. Like I said, that doesn't mean there aren't practical things, you know. But but in uh, but that had, that should be worked out in conjunction with uh, some uh, temple authorities or whatever, um, and then just follow that whatever that practical thing uh, practical agreement is. But the principle is, and especially for brahmacharis and sannyasis who are who basically subsist on charity. So, you know, especially like in Vrindavan, they do this madhukar. Madhu, madhu means a bee, well, right? So a bee will take a little pollen from different flowers, right? And go to the next flower, go to the next flower, especially there's enough flowers around. So that's what madhukar is. You take a little food stuffs. You take one chapati from this person, one chapati from that person, like like that, and the, and you beg for your sustenance. It's good for your 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 spiritually because it's a very humble thing to beg. Um, it benefits the people who give you the food, like that. But it's not like you know. This is of course in bygone times, but it's not that you try to hoard. You know, okay, wow, this person's uh, you know, just made my favorite preparation. Uh, let me get a gallon jug and they fill it up for the future. Right? Prabhupada used to give the example of a bird. If a bird sees a bag of rice, uh, the bird will you know, eat whatever rice is there and then fly off. Whereas a man or woman will pick up the whole bag and take it home. So... Um, One should not ask for more than necessary for themselves. Any comments, questions on that? Okay. Then 
If not, we continue. You were. Uh, yes, we're yeah. So you are making the point that uh, it's hard to know another's mind. Yeah. Uh, in society, we tend to. Um, we tend to do just that. We tend to look around and see um, how others are doing by our standards, um, according to you know the, either the standards that I've set up for myself or the standards that I assume are society standards. Um, and if you know if someone is not following that standard or breaking that standard, um, we tend to uh, make assumptions about that, uh, about that person's choices. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's important to distinguish that you're, you're not referring to ordinary society, you're referring to um, a, an aspiring devotee in devotional life. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and we focus on the, the um, fundamental rather than the function. We have functional and fundamental natures. Functional, you know, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I, I, I do this kind of job, I do that kind of job. We, you know, we function in the world. But our fundamental identity is uh, God's servant, a soul. Um, and people will generally, they'll make assumptions based on our, our uh, different um, functional identities. Just like, uh, Dean, do people ever make assumptions about people that are in the Navy? Um, I, no, uh, well, I, I know that the Navy has, has really worked in the last, especially the last, 10 years basically starting since right around when I, I joined to shed itself of the drunken sailor uh, reputation. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think, you know, most, most of people have such a positive uh, concept. Yes. Concept so they make the military and military service and stuff. Positive like assumptions. Yes. Positive. Doesn't even have to, assumptions can be positive. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, always say, in, the, in the Navy, I, you know, people might at the store, they might come up to, Thank you for your service. Yeah. And, and actually, I was about to say, like, sometimes to me, it seems a bit over the top. Uh, the, you know, oh, thank you for your service and this and that. I mean, it's, it's, I appreciate it. But um, I guess sometimes I, I, the reason that it's a little bit off putting to me, not because of, you know, anything that they're doing. I mean, like I said, it comes from a good place. But, you know, sometimes I wonder if there's a healthy enough, skepticism maybe not so much of the military but just what we're you know yeah. as what we're being used for as an instrument you know right. what i mean if, if it's so that over the top appreciative you know and yet we look at the same we we have police officers of course well at least a couple of years ago were shunned yeah and there's really not a whole lot of difference with what the vast vast majority of them are doing only they're doing it at home uh so anyway, yeah I, I went on a tangent no no thank you thank you shanaz do uh people make assumptions about vegans 
Oh yeah, all the time. You know, it's like vegan, oh hippie, this. You know, it's like a more of a negative. Although um, a bit more and more, it's of course become a household name. Right, Mandy Muki. Do people in America make any assumptions about you being from China? Maybe. A little hard to hear you. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Oh, now loud and clear. Loud and clear. Okay, good. So last week I went to a parking at a garage and one of the clergy, clergy, the, the man who is keeping the keeping at the, the door and uh -huh. he asked, Where are you from originally? I said, I'm from New Jersey. And <laughs> she said, and he said, uh, I mean originally uh your uh, birthplace. I said, I'm from China. And then immediately he salute to make a salute to me like those uh, people who do it in, in kung fu movies <laughs> well that's something that could be a lot worse believe me uh what some people from china have experienced so my point is that we uh people make all these kind of you know thoughts and assumptions about people based on their body and uh you know um and often, especially negative ones, they're not necessarily fair. I mean, even um, when Vibhishan, Vibhishan was uh, Ravana, the great demon, Ravana's brother. When he came to surrender to Lord Ram, Lord Ram embraced him. But the other members of the monkey army, they were like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? I don't trust him at all because of his birth. He is born as a uh, in a demon family and the brother of Ravana because of his association. He hung out with Ravana all the time and Kumbhakarna and all these bad people, right? Do we ever judge people by their association? Uh, by his dress, he was dressed like a uh, like you know a kingly demon, not not like a devotee. Do we ever judge people by their dress, right? Or by the kind of car they drive, or right? So uh, it's good to be curious, not judgmental. That's the mantra. Uh, well, not the mantra. The mantra is the Hare Krishna mantra. But <laughs> be curious, not judgmental. Um, because we can sometimes, you know, get things. And people judge us because of these different upadis, these different designations, right? Um, and, and, and it varies. Like, like Adam, Adam has a... Uh, a big uh, uh, he has a lot of hair on his head, like a fro. Yeah, a like fro? a fro. Yeah, like a fro. Yeah, and uh, probably where he lives in Hawaii, that's like maybe some people think it's really cool. And I would guess maybe some parts of America, if he walked in like that, that people would like, who is this guy? You know, if he was met, I don't know Mississippi or something. And now I'm making assumptions, right? Uh, but no, you're, you're you're right about that. Yeah, on the. <laughs> On the mainland, it is. I do. I do notice that uh, people make assumptions uh, on that stuff, especially especially when I worked in research science. Like when I would meet new scientists, uh, they would <clears throat> they would. Uh, it, it really did feel like they were uh, 
judging me of like who the heck is this guy you know and then but uh right but, yeah yeah but most people i think most people once you really you know once they start to interact with you uh, they judge you more by your character than your appearance that's the point you got you hit it on the nail if we can get past the initial uh you know whatever assumption often we can see the humanity in the other person mm. right and I, i've seen that you know and i i'm i'm quite apolitical but you know I, i've i've had conversations with people who had you know make america great hats on and it was a great conversation you know and and see you know yeah they may have their this political view or that political view but you know, they're also human beings that uh, that have that have uh, turned their back on Krishna, like I have, and you know have spiritual longings, et cetera, et cetera. So, good lesson here from uh, Pallad Maharaj. So let's carry on. Text three. I know that even until now, no one taking birth in your family has been. So this is Vamanadev speaking to Bali Maharaj. Okay, the Vamanadev, an incarnation of Krishna speaking to this great devotee, Bali Maharaj, who, like Ravana, has taken birth in a demon family. Um, but there's also great devotees in this family, like Pallad Maharaj. And also great demons in this family, as we're going to hear about in a few verses. I know that even until now, no one taking birth in your family has been poor-minded or miserly. No one has refused to give charity to Brahmanas. Hint, hint. <laughs> Nor after promising to give charity, has anyone failed to fulfill his promise? Also, hint, hint, as you'll find out later. O King Bali, never in your dynasty has the low-minded king been born, upon whom being requested has refused charity to Brahmanas in holy places, or a fight to Chatriyas on a battlefield. And your dynasty is even more glorious due to the presence of Prahlad Maharaj, who is like the beautiful moon in the sky. It was in your dynasty. Now he's talking about demons. It was in your dynasty that Hiran Yaksha was born. Carrying only his own club, he wandered the globe alone without assistance to conquer all directions. And no hero he met could rival him. While delivering the earth from the Karbodaka Sea, Lord Vishnu in his incarnation as a boar killed Hiran Yaksha, who had appeared before him. The fight was severe and the Lord killed Hiran Yaksha with great difficulty. Later, as the Lord thought about the uncommon prowess of Hiranyaksha, he felt himself victorious indeed. So he's glorifying even your family comes from Hiranyaksha, who was this great fighter. When Hiranyakashipu, the brother of Hiranyaksha, heard the news of his brothers being killed, with great anger, he went to the residence of Vishnu, the killer of his brother, wanting to kill Lord Vishnu. Seeing Hiranyakashipu coming forward, bearing a trident in his hand like personified death, Lord Vishnu, the best of the all mystics, and the knower of the progress of time, thought as follows. <clears throat> Wherever, wheresoever I go, Hiranyakashipu will follow me, as death follows all living entities. Therefore, it is better for me to enter the core of his heart. For then, because of his power to see only externally, he will not see me. So he didn't have any spiritual vision. Of course, the Lord's already in everyone's heart as the super soul. Um, 
Lord Bhamana continued, O king of the demons, after Lord Vishnu made this decision, he entered the body of his enemy, Hiranyakashipu, who was running after him with great force. In a subtle body inconceivable to Hiranyakashipu, Lord Vishnu, who was in great anxiety, entered Hiranyakashipu's nostril along with his breath. Upon seeing that the residence of Lord Vishnu was vacant, Hiranyakashipu being, began searching for Lord Vishnu everywhere. Angry at not seeing him, Hiranyakashipu screamed loudly and searched the entire universe, including the surface of the earth, the higher planetary systems, all directions, and all the caves and oceans. But Hiranyakashipu, the great, greatest hero, did not see Lord Vishnu anywhere. Unable to see him, Hiranyakashipu said, I, excuse me, <laughs> I have searched the entire universe, but I could not find Vishnu, who has killed my brother. Therefore, he must certainly have gone to that place for which no one returns. In other words, he must be dead. <clears throat> Atheists generally follow the Buddhist philosophical conclusion that at death, everything is finished. What is it? Eat, drink, and be married, for tomorrow you may die. Hiranyakashipu, being an atheist, thought this way. Because Lord Vishnu was not visible to him, he thought that the Lord was dead. Even today, many people follow the philosophy that God is dead. So that was, uh, that, that phrase has been coined by different people. It's, it's most generally... Um, um, Nietzsche? Nietzsche, yes. Um, but it also came from other philosophers probably before him. Um, and now Nietzsche was, wasn't a theist, but his point was not about that. His point was yeah. that the enlightenment, that, that period of time where science, um, where people came to believe that the idea that the universe was governed by physical laws, law of uh, gravity, for example, and not by divine arrangement, that became very mainstream. In, in, in the world and even in Nietzsche's world. So, um, and that, that, that enlightenment philosophy had shown, for example, governments um, no longer, they didn't need to be organized around the idea of a divine um, right to, you know, that, that God made, you know, coronated a king or a queen, right? Um, but rather, there should be the consent and rationality of, of those who are governed. And that, uh, so that was a moral theory that, uh, you know, that you didn't need God for these things. That was what he meant when he said God is dead. That, yeah, I don't, I don't think he viewed that as a, necessarily a good thing, right? That, I mean, that's right. That's the basis from which he kind of predicted nihilism would kind of become prevalent and then he sort of predicted what I think is uh, the disasters that communism were in various Yeah, well, and, and so he writes this um, um, in, in a book called Twilight of the Idols. When one gives up the Christian faith, so remember, he's not a Christian, right? When one gives up the Christian faith, one pulls the right to Christian morality 
out from under one's feet. So his concern was about morality. And that good thing about Christianity is that, you know, so he continues, this morality is by no means self-evident. Christianity is a system, a whole view of things thought out together. By breaking one main concept out of it, God is dead. The faith, the faith in God, one or well, faith in God in general, one breaks the whole. So he was actually concerned that even though he was an atheist, he was concerned that uh, the age of enlightenment had people giving up their Christian morals. And he could see, and it's he could he could predict pretty much what's going on in the world today, that this is not going to be good for the world. So yeah. But you're right. It is interesting how I feel like uh, people almost the, the first thing they think of when they think of Nietzsche is God is dead, and almost as though it were like he were celebrating that. I don't think that was the case at all. No, that's right. There's there's often uh, sayings that uh, that people get totally wrong. Like for example. Um, the exception that proves that proves the rule. <laughs> so people sometimes quote that that well, this is an exception that proves that the rule is generally right. That doesn't make any sense at all. And as a matter of fact, if you go back to the, the early English meaning of it, it basically was the opposite. The exception disproves the rule. <laughs> but people say, yeah, duh, you know, <laughs> kind of, you know, uh, take it without. A lot of thought. A, a lot of, you know, sayings are like that. You know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, you know, you, you probably it's more accurate to say an older person is probably harder to pick up certain habits and mindsets than a younger person. But obviously we know older people can become, you know, very enlightened and uh, change their views on things, right? So a lot of... Uh, in, in debate and in logic, when someone comes up with some kind of saying like that, it often, for the uninformed, they go, oh, yeah, okay, I guess you're right. But a little bit more, but a little bit more accurate analysis would say, wait, 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 I'm not, that may be a good truism, but does it apply in this situation or not? <laughs> right? Um, the ends justify the means. Well, of course, that that a lot of people argue about that. That's not. But anyway, you get the idea. Um, um, it seems it seems like when a conversation is furthered that way, it reminds me of when people are say like that's a growth mindset. Where, yeah. you know, I was just having a conversation with my friend yesterday about. People, you know, when they make the assumptions and then when the conversation, you know, goes further and then that point of being curious is in them. If it's in them, then they can further the conversation. But if it's not, then that, you know, they, they stay in that assumption. Yeah. 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 Now, a lot of our assumptions are accurate, by the way. Assumptions aren't bad. The, the, the problem is that when you get them wrong, you can really mess things up. So it's good to test our assumptions. 
you know, assumptions can keep us safe. Sometimes, you know, you see somebody walking down the other, you know, coming towards you in a dark alley at night. And, you know, assuming that this person might be dangerous is probably maybe a good thing. It may keep you safe. So even, you know, even if you're wrong, it's still, you know, better safe than sorry. Okay, so let's continue. Um, God is never dead. Prabhupada <laughs> is just like, okay. Even the living entity, and Nietzsche's point is that we've killed him by the age of enlightenment, the age of science. But here Prabhupada says, but God is never dead. Even the living entity, so what to speak of God, even the living entity who is part of God never dies. The soul there is neither, never birth nor death. This is the statement of Bhagavad Gita, chapter 2, verse 20. Even the ordinary living entity never takes birth or dies. What then is to be said of the Supreme Personality of God, who is the chief of all living entities? He certainly never takes birth or dies. Ajopi son of Yayatma. Both the Lord and the living entity exist um, as unborn and inexhaustible personalities. That's, a, that's quite a sentence, isn't it? Both the Lord and the living entity exist as unborn and inexhaustible personalities. We don't, it's not Advaita Vedanta that we, we, our personalities merge into the Supreme uh, when we reach enlightenment. No, we remain eternally individual personalities. But a purified personality that loves Krishna, Thus, Hiranyakashipu's conclusion that Vishnu was dead was wrong. And the next paragraph, as indicated by the words Yato Navartate Puman, there is certainly a spiritual kingdom. And if the living entity goes there, he never returns to this material world. So Prabhupada, he, he doesn't have any doubts, right? He, he doesn't say, you know, yes, it's, it's said that there's a spiritual kingdom. No, he says there is certainly a spiritual kingdom. And as the living entity goes there, he never returns to this material world. This is also confirmed in Bhagavad Gita. Tvaktva deham punarjanma naiti mam eti sorjuna. Materially speaking, every living entity dies. Death is inevitable. But those who are karmis, ganis, and yogis return to this material world after death, whereas the bhakta does, do not. Of course, if a bhakta is not completely perfect, he takes birth in the material world again but in a very exalted position, either in a rich family or a family of the purest brahmanas, suchi nam, shunmatam gehe, just to finish his development in spiritual consciousness. Those who have completed the course of Krishna consciousness and are free from material desire, return to the abode of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, yet yatpa nanivartante tadama paramamama. Here the same fact is stated, tato navartate pumam. Any person who goes back home, back to God, it does not return to this material world. So I, I, when I read paragraphs like this, I just see Prabhupada's conviction, you know, coming out. He doesn't mince words and he's not using wishy-washy words. No, he's speaking from the depth of his realization. And it, they're powerful, very powerful. Thanks. 
Uh, any questions or comments on that? Okay. So the next verse, we're also going to study the purport. Let's talk to that. Hiranyakashipu's anger against Lord Vishnu persisted until his death. Other people in the bodily concept of life maintain anger only because of false ego and the great influence of ignorance. Purport. Generally speaking, even though the conditioned soul is angry, his anger is not perpetual, but temporary. It is due to the influence of ignorance. Hiranyakashipu, however, maintained his enmity and his anger against Lord Vishnu up to the point of death. He never forgot his vengeful attitude towards Vishnu for, kill, for, having, kill, uh, for having killed his brother, Hiranyaksha. Others in the bodily concept of life are angry at their enemies, but not at Lord Vishnu. Hiranyakashipu, however, was everlastingly angry. He was angry not only because of false prestige, but because of continuous enmity towards Vishnu. So, we are instructed in the Gita to um, try to, av to avoid anger. Kama Asha, so that's uh, chapter 3, verse 37, if I'm not mistaken. So in 36, Arjuna asks, Oh, Krishna, by what is one compelled? to sinful acts, even unwillingly, as if engaged by force. And Krishna says, it is lust only, Arjuna, which is born of contact with the material mode of passion, then this is the key point, and later transformed into wrath or anger, and which is the all-devouring sinful enemy of this world. So as a general rule, anger comes when some kind of material desire that we have is frustrated. And then we become um, angry. And anger is, uh, comes from the mode of ignorance. And it is such a deleterious, is that the right word? Such a degrading, um, people aren't happy when they're angry. Um, although they may think they are. And it is... Uh, it's all about something external to us. The other interesting thing about anger is it's a secondary emotion, right? If you uh, are driving along the beltway in DC and someone cuts, cuts you off, cuts right in front of you, just misses your bumper by a few inches, uh, you, you're very angry. But the first emotion was probably fear. And then anger came in. Your, your teenager comes home three hours late, you know, comes at home. They were supposed to be home at 10 o'clock. They come at one o'clock. You're angry as, as anything at them. But your first thing is probably relief. They're alive. They're okay. So here also, kama asha, krota asha. First one has uh, desires, material things, something material, something in this material world. And upon not getting that, they often get angry as a secondary, as a reaction to that unfulfilled uh, desire. So anger, you know, if we see it, and, and I think you feel it in your body. You, I don't know, for some people, they clench their fists. They, they, uh, they, they're, um, what's the word there? They grit their teeth. 
they feel something in their stomach. You, you often feel it even, you know, um, in your body and certainly in your mind. And it's not considered a very attractive feature. <laughs> it is something to really uh, try to control and, and not only control, but avoid. Unless, you know, there's a good reason for it. You know, we're said, we, it's said we can get angry if someone speaks, uh, you know, does something to another devotee of God. Right? Or does something that just really is just terrible for in some way or other hurts other people. So there can be a good use of it. But as a general rule, uh, anger is, is, is all about ourselves and it's something to be uh, avoided. Questions, comments on this? I'm gonna take a risk, personal risk anyway, and appear as if I am disagreeing with something in, in, in the Shastra presented to us because I, okay, uh, should, I mute, I, should I mute you now or later? Yeah, go, go ahead, go ahead. Because I see Hiranyakashipu's continuous anger at Lord Vishnu as continuous, you know, lifelong ignorance. You know, the, the very fact that he's uh, ignorant about Lord Vishnu's supreme position and thinks that he can avenge his brother who's you know that's a material connection that makes sense, uh, that, makes sense. <laughs> that so it, his his anger is continuously misinformed and in my view so even even though the shastra in front of us says uh hirani kashipu let's see hirani kashipu's anger persisted until his death Whereas other people in the bodily conception of life maintain anger only because of false ego, I I can't not think that his anger was due to you know like maha false ego and yes. maha yes. ignorance. Well, that's fine. Uh, at the same time, we know the backstory, right? The backstory yeah. is that you know that he's a great devotee. He's giant Vijay in the fourth the fourth canto. You know, cursed by Sana Kumar, the four Kumaras to take birth as you know, three births as a demon. So there is a backstory to it, as there often is when something seems really terrible in the scriptures. There's a backstory to it, sure. right? Like, uh, yeah, you know, like backstory to Krishna's brothers, um, the children of Devaki and Vasudeva all being killed by Kamsa. But you know they represent lust, greed, anger. You know there's there's a backstory to it, and there's a backstory to our lives. That backstory is our karma from from previous lives and and in this life. So there's all kinds of backstories going on in our life. We may be going through a difficult time in our life right now. There's a backstory to that. Not everything is what appears to the eyes, and we said that earlier that we have imperfect senses. We tend to be illusioned like that. Okay, anything else? So if I take a spiritual master, is that like, is that like somebody hiring an agent to change my backstory? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> sort of, sort of. 
Okay, so we will end here and we'll start on verse 13. And I'm sure I'll give you some, you know, so for, if you haven't, there's uh, two more two more verses. Um, yeah, 17 and 21 uh, to, to read the purport. And then in the 19th chapter, uh, where Lord Bhamana actually begs for charity from Bali Maharaj, uh, there's not a lot of purports but uh, I'll send some of those to read. Okay, so thank you. Thank you for being here. And thank you for the listeners on SoundCloud. And uh, I wish you uh, have a wonderful Sunday. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you, Hare Krishna.